0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's
1: your host, Ryan Recker. Pleasure to be back with you today. Chilly. Things are going well, though. Thanks for having me on. I have the text messaging line up if you want to message the show, 855-616-1620. And I'm looking at some of these text messages. And, of course, Jeff in Fox Point right at noon. Hi, Ryan. Well, that was really nice, right off the bat. I trust Jeff from Fox Point because I recognize he's messaged pretty much every day I've filled in here on WTMJ. And by the way, I'm Ryan Recker. You can find me online at ryanrecker.com. So what I'm about to tell you, Jeff, I need you to let me know. I am stuck in this pattern in my marriage. I've been married for 10 years, and it seems like there's this Charlie Brown Lucy scenario that plays out over and over and over. The scenario where my wife will put the football out there, and that's what she wants. And here I am thinking, you know what, I'm going to kick that out of the park so we don't even have to talk about it right now. And as I run up to the ball, boom, right on my back. Right on my bad, achy back, as my wife will lift up the football and laugh at me and say, Oh, Ryan, you're such a meathead to think you'll ever get what you want. This weekend, my wife started playing all of the mental tricks on me. She said, oh, we should start listening to Christmas music. We should listen to it in the house. Oh, because it's it's cold outside. We're starting to get in the spirit. Where I live, no snow yet. We haven't seen it. There's been storms that came through and got certain areas close to us, but not quite where we live. So I think she was really hoping there would be snow on the ground at this point. But she starts bribing me with cookies. Today, she's cooking chocolate chip cookies. They're delicious. They smell good. They look good. They taste good. And on top of that, she let me lick the bowl. And that's how you know true love. When your wife will put the bowl aside and say, oh, I saved you the bowl instead of washing it. Aw, honey, that's wonderful. And then she threw this at me. She said, you know what the rule is? If it snows before my birthday, we can put the Christmas tree up early. I said, no, that's not the rule. That's not a rule. No one came up with this. No, 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 no. Then I installed our, it. Like all came together at once. I said, oh, okay, the cookies, being nice, leaving the bowl out, the Christmas music. All things started to swirl into play. She was just laying the ground that the Christmas tree needs to go up early before Thanksgiving. No, no, no. Pump the brakes here. But I've been married long enough for 10 years to realize that I'm Charlie Brown and she's Lucy. The idea that the Christmas tree would be up after Thanksgiving, that's the football. And there she is holding on to it. She was going to give me the impression that I'd be able to go up and kick it out of the park and we'd be able to hold off on that Christmas tree going up. But here she is, whoop, with the cookies and everything else with the Christmas music, putting that ball up in the air so I can fall flat on my back only for her to laugh at me because I'm in constant back pain from falling trying to kick that football. So I open this up to you, anyone that may be listening right now. If you've been married for longer than 10 years, longer than I have, is it even worth putting up a fight anymore? I mean, I, I've started to realize that in the end, I'm just going to end up flat on my back. So why even bother fighting it? The cookies are nice. That's great. That's great. Uh, the kids are on her side because the kids love the idea of the tree going up because, in their mind, tree up in the house equals presents on display. I'm doomed. I'm done. I just got to give up. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Just give me a text message on this. I'm not really planning on taking any calls. Let me know if I'm doomed. Guys, if you're married, is this the same thing in every household or is it just this household? we got a big show planned for you today, by the way. Uh, I saw a national headline from the Washington Post over the weekend. Should the Packers sit Aaron Rodgers? Oh, boy. Now that's a controversial statement, huh? Or is it so? Brian D. from the WTMJ Sports Office is going to join us after the break. So Mike McCarthy making his return. Mixed feelings on that. A lot of people don't know how to feel on it. But... With the Aaron Rodgers thing, I definitely want to take some of your calls on that after our conversation with Brian D. Later in the show, too, there's a few things I wanted to get to. I saw one headline in The Hill, and the idea was there was a representative, uh, Democratic representative, Jamie Raskin, suggesting that far-right legislators would try to vote Donald Trump as the next Speaker of the House. And I thought, what an interesting, crazy, far-fetched idea, or is it? Is that even possible? So I'm going to talk to my political historian friend, Richard Bino, on the history of electing in speakers of the House, or at least starting a campaign where they're not actually in office at the time it happens. Yeah, it's possible. And then you may have seen the news over the weekend. A great broadcaster, Radio Hall of Famer, Jim Bohannon, passed away. You listened to him for many years here on WTMJ, late nights through the overnights. Jim Bohannon was one of those loved broadcasters. His last show was on October 14th. He passed away just two days ago. I was listening to his final show where he was talking about his health issues. And I wanted to really bring in someone that knew him. His name is McGraw Milhaven. He was one of the fill-in hosts for Jimbo through the overnight hours. And I wanted to ask him what made Jimbo Hannon such a special broadcaster. I had the pleasure of meeting Jim Bohannon once. It was five years ago at the Radio Hall of Fame. I was actually on the air with him. He brought me onto his show. It was actually really, really cool. So we're going to talk about his legacy. I'm sure there's people listening right now that may have listened to WTMJ through the nights and got an idea of what he was like and how special of a person he was. A couple of text messages coming in. Happy wife, happy life. Oh boy, I'm in trouble. Uh, One person, Jeff in Germantown, You need to learn to just say no. What's the point of saying no to my wife when I know she's going to get what she wants anyway? Uh, Here's another text message. My grandpa told me one time a husband's castle is his casket, so you got that to look forward to? (laughs) All right, Jeff from Fox Point messaging in. I knew he would. I, I was waiting for him to chime in on this. He said, I'm single, so I'm probably not the best advisor, but I'm thinking that this is probably a happy wife, happy life situation. I'm in trouble. Am I going to have to put the tree up today to make her happy? WTMJ in the sports office. Brian D is going to join us next. We're going to talk Aaron Rodgers and Packers, the big headline from the Washington Post, suggesting that they should just sit him. I'll get his take on that coming up on WTMJ. Don't go anywhere. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Back for more, here's WTMJ's
0: Jeff Wagner.
1: And I'm Ryan Recker filling in this week for Jeff Wagner. Pleasure to be with you in the text line, the phone line, the same, 855-616-1620. I'd like to hear from you if you want to talk about this. Joining us from the WTMJ Sports Office, the all-around good guy here, Brian D. Hello, Brian.
2: (laughs) What an intro. What's up, Brian? How are you? Yeah, but I should point
1: out, at least for full disclosure, when we were trying to figure out your title, you said, I don't know what my title is anymore. How about just all-around good guy? Perfect. And I'm okay with that.
2: I'll wear it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, that's, that's, uh, I can do a lot worse than that. Uh, we'll figure <laughs> out title at a later date.
1: Yeah, just a. To- quick thing to wrap up this last segment. I'm looking at all these text messages. There's so many of them coming in, and all these text messages said, Ryan, I've been married a lot longer than you. You're doomed. Your wife will get what she wants whenever she wants. Mm-hmm. Just get used to it. It's pretty much the gist of every text message is coming in. They said, just look at the bright side. You're not watching Hallmark Christmas movies yet.
2: Oh, I'm so already So I got there. that going for me. Oh, I'm, oh I'm, I'm, no. Wait. So I... walk me through this quick before we get into Packers. How did this start? Because I'm, I'm newly married. I got married in August, so I'm Gosh, what, three, four months into this situation, how did this all uh, generate here? Yeah, I'm just going
1: to guess where you're at. So if your wife says, hey, let's put the Christmas tree up, you with a smile say, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea.
2: Yeah, I I almost actually over the weekend, because my wife loves Christmas, and we've been together for, gosh, six years now. So you get a vibe for what she wants and what she doesn't What We lived together for five years, too. I almost, like, just started putting the Christmas tree up on my own accord just to, like, get out ahead of it this weekend because I know it's coming at some point in the not-too-distant future. Yeah.
1: See, you're going to get to the point where you're just not going to want to do it. It's like a burden, and it's too early. And you know what? You have to give more respect to Thanksgiving. So you understand the dilemma you're in. You want to hold it off as long as possible. You'll get to that point in your marriage. Yes, absolutely. So a lot of people are sympathetic to that. I see some messages about Jim Bohannon at night. Yes, he'll be missed. And, yes, we will talk Jim Bohannon this show, too, I Love uh, radio history, and he certainly has carved a part of radio history out, in my heart at least. Uh, okay, the, the big headline from the Washington Post, this actually came out on Saturday, so before yesterday's win in overtime. The national headline from the Washington Post, should the Packers sit Aaron Rodgers? That
2: was the national headline. What are your thoughts? On Saturday, when this article came out, I would have said Yes. Uh, because the Packers' season looked like it was doomed on Saturday, especially going up against a then 6-3 Dallas Cowboys team that was clicking on all cylinders and getting healthy and is expected to be one of the couple of teams that might go to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. So the Packers were staring down the barrel, Ryan, of, gosh, 3-6, and 3-7 and seven, uh, at, at that point in time. Uh, it would have been 3-7, and seven. and then yesterday happened, and they stormed back from a 14-point deficit to pick up an upset victory in overtime over the Cowboys, and the entire outlook on the season changes, not just because of the victory, but because of the way the Packers won. Christian Watson, the rookie wide receiver, finally exploded onto the scene with three touchdowns, and it looked like the Packers could do something uh, competently on offense in terms of throwing the football. So mm-hmm. the entire outlook on the season changes because of one game and because of the style of victory. On Saturday, I would have said, yeah, if they lose to the Cowboys, it's probably take a, a time to take a look at Jordan Love. Now you look at the playoff standings and go, "They're they're right in the thick of this wild card race, and they looked okay yesterday. Maybe they got a shot to make it into the tournament.
1: All right, so this is what would happen. When I was growing up in Detroit, I watched some terrible Lions teams as they continued to be terrible. But still, every year, this is what would happen. You would play a year with Joey Harrington, and they would be terrible. And then Joey Harrington would have a great last game of the season. And then what would happen? They would bring him back for the next year. And I kept thinking to myself, why do they stick with this guy because it's almost like they commit to him for an entire year without even questioning if they should take him out. That was back, what, 15 years ago, whatever that was, when he was last playing, maybe even longer. i got to look at the years, but it just goes by so fast. Nowadays, it's almost day-to-day. People will look at one performance, and they'll determine if, hey, are we going to sit him or bench him, stay or not? It's not like there's as much of a commitment as there used to be. So when you mentioned that on Saturday your thought was, Oh, maybe we sit Rogers. And now you're thinking, oh, maybe we don't. Is this really a day-to-day question the Packers and Packers fans should be asking, or do you need more of a commitment?
2: No. I, I, well, first of all, we're talking about Aaron Rodgers, not Joey Harrington here. No, no disrespect <laughs> to the great Detroit Lion, Joey Harrington. Um, you know, Rodgers is it, just money-wise, you're kind of tied to playing him. Legacy-wise, you're tied to playing him. He's a four-time MVP, back-to-back MVP. You don't just sit that guy willy-nilly. But I think the question was valid because if the Packers had lost last night, at 3-7, it's over, over. Like, your season is a wrap in terms of playoff hopes, uh, and you're playing in a short week, so you might as well just get a look at Jordan Love at that point. Now, though, mm-hmm. the entire outlook of the season changes because you feel like your playoff hopes are no longer on life support, but potentially a little bit more alive than they were 24 hours ago.
1: Okay, so that's the big question. Should Aaron Rodgers be on the Bench, and now you're saying no. Not after that overtime win. Not anymore. You know, not bad. 14 out of 20, 224 yards, three touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers in that overtime win. Very impressive. Uh, Maybe we'll take some calls on this after the break. So if anyone listening here, should Aaron Rodgers be benched? 855-616-1620. We'll get to your comments. I see a couple of text messages coming in. We will take your phone calls. And we'll be joined again by all-around good guy Brian D. from the WTMJ Sports Office coming up right after the break. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. And I'm Ryan Recker. Some great text messages coming in. One text message said regarding Aaron Rodgers and benching him in the Washington Post article over the weekend about benching Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Should Aaron Rodgers be benched? Here's the answer from this text message. Not only yes... But heck yes. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> That's it, like very enthusiastic. Oh, Brian D is from the WTMJ Sports Office, all-around good guy. Okay, he's pretty excited about the idea of benching Rodgers. Yeah,
2: I, no, I, and I don't know. I want to be clear here, too. I, When this article was put out that you're referencing, Ryan, on Saturday, right. I would have said yes under the assumption, thinking the Packers were going to lose to the Cowboys yesterday, and they would be three and seven waking up this morning, and their playoffs hopes would be over, and he's still playing with an injured thumb, right? At that point, there's no reason to keep rolling Rodgers out there if he's injured with your playoff hopes gone, and you want to get a look at Jordan Love, who you have to make a decision on this offseason about his picking up his fifth year option. Like, there, it, it would have theoretically made sense to do that. Thank goodness we don't have to do that because they pulled off the victory. Now, I understand and we're seeing a lot of lists on the talk and text line, 855-616-1620. You're paying him $50 million a year. He's a two-time MVP. You don't sit him. I get all that. 1,000%. You're not going to just willy-nilly sit Aaron Charles Rodgers 1,000%. But if the situation had gotten to the point where you're 3-7, and seven, your playoff hopes are over, and dude is injured you may as well get a look at the kid. That would have been my mindset, and I'm guessing that's probably where the writer of this article thought.
1: Yeah, and he's, I know, up there in age, but still very effective. Maybe he needs to take some more of that Askenawa or whatever that stuff's called. <laughs> is yes. Yeah. Uh, there's all these other text messages coming in. Uh, one person mentioned that uh, you cannot sit Rodgers at $60 million a year. Fair. Uh, I would agree you don't sit him. I think there's a pretty good track record. Of instances where it comes back to bite you, I think one of the biggest examples for me is when Indianapolis said to Colton, uh, to, to Manning, I should say, yeah. um, you know what we're going to do? I don't think we're going to bring you back. And then what does he go win a Super Bowl with another team? Yeah, so, that
2: was that was a little bit different in a sense that he had a pretty serious neck injury and was undergoing surgery, uh, and they they thought. You know he wasn't going to be able to climb back from that. If Aaron Rodgers was undergoing some sort of massive surgery for an injury that was career-threatening, I think it's a different conversation. But the point is well taken where it's like, okay, you can go 1-15 real quick if you bench your star quarterback.
1: Yeah, I I think you don't give up on that caliber of quarterback, in particular what that means for the Packers if they were to uh, bench him, just for the sake of seeing what happens. Uh, Let's get a quick call in before we get to the news. Larry in Lake Geneva, welcome to WTMJ. Go ahead. Larry, are you there? Ah, maybe Larry's not there. Bummer. That's okay. Well, uh, well, Larry, does. I, I guess we're going to take some calls on this. Maybe we'll do it after the break at 855-616-1620. We only have like a minute here. So as more people start calling in and to take that after the break, I have one other question for you that's sports-related. Sure. If I can get to that real quick. I don't know if you saw this. So MMA, UFC, that ultimate fighting thing, Dana White is a pretty popular character online, I guess. Uh, He gets out there, certainly. You're familiar with UFC, right? Yeah, absolutely. Professional kickboxing, punching, kicking. Fighting. (laughs) Fighting. Pretty much everything except kidney shots, yeah. So people go out there, get knocked out, get choked out, all these different things. He is going to create a slap fighting league. Now, I don't know if you've seen these YouTube videos where two guys line up (laughs) across from each other, and they take turns slapping each other in the face until one is knocked out. Uh Have you seen those videos? I sure have, yes. He's creating a league of slap fighting. So my question to you as a sports guy, is slap
2: fighting a sport? Um, yes, I suppose. I mean, if, if we're going to call boxing a sport, which is, uh, you know, theoretically the same premise, it's two guys fighting until they knock each other out, then I suppose it is. Uh, I, what, Take your turn slapping Yeah, each other, would I yeah. watch this regularly? Probably not. But would I watch it once? Absolutely. And I've been down the YouTube rabbit hole as well. Oh, I know. It's so engaging. And that's one
1: of the reasons why he's creating this league. You said, I've been on YouTube. These videos get 300 million views. People want to see guys slapping each other until they knock out.
2: No, I think the key could be you get some celebrities, some real big-time personalities slapping each other that are like rivals publicly, then you're on to something.
1: Yeah, they tried that with celebrity boxing. like They brought Screech in. And, you know, it wasn't that good. You think that they would take it a little bit more seriously, but ultimately, what happens is the celebrity does a lot of like uh, wincing yeah. and like uh, running and hiding. They're not prepared to actually box. But
2: that was screech. If you get like Aaron Rodgers versus Mike McCarthy in a slap fight, then all of a sudden uh, no, that's that's pay per view.
1: Okay, this is a great topic. So now you have a professional athlete, and now you have a guy that's got. Certainly enough cushion that might be able to take a slap. So This is the old, um, you know, Homer Simpson had a special trait to his body that he was able to take abuse. So they put him in the ring against like the Mike Tyson version in the Simpsons world, and he was able to take hits. I wonder if that would be the equivalent to it. You would be able to get Mike McCarthy in there and he'd be able to take a few hits because he seems like a tough dude.
2: Yeah, you have no comment on that. No, I just I, <laughs> sign me up for slap fighting in, in in any way, shape, or form. I'll try yep. it once, okay. and if I enjoy it, I will continue coming back to slap fighting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll knock you right off. I, I think I'd be knocked out with one slap from a pro. All right, Brian D from the WTMJ Sports Office. Thank you for joining us here. Thanks, Ryan. And uh, your comments on Aaron Rodgers. I would like to hear from you, though. 855 616 1620. 855 616 1620 is the number. The big question this weekend from the Washington Post, should they sit Aaron Rodgers? We'll take some of your calls after the break. WTMJ Newstime is 1231. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Let's um, take some text messages here at 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner this week. and. The big discussion from the Washington Post, the headline that came out this weekend: Should the Packers sit Aaron Rodgers? Well, Sunday comes around, bring him back from behind, win in overtime, beat the Dallas Cowboys, improve the record to four and six. Not all that impressive, four and six, but you got a fighting chance. And sometimes, you know, crazier things have happened in the NFL. Do you bench Aaron Rodgers? No. It would be easy to try out someone else if it wasn't such a historically good quarterback over the years. And look how well he's played the last couple of years. And sometimes you just get to a certain age where, you know, you're over the hill and it's done. You just have no return. Particularly in the NFL, it makes it very difficult because you might have instances where you're shining bright, but the NFL is a rough, rough, rough league that beats your body up. And just look at all of the medical issues that former players have long after they're out of the league and how many of them have died at a young age. It's a very serious physical sport. So when you start to see decline, I can see why people look at it and say, okay, maybe it's time to just sunset this. Cut your losses and move on. But we're talking Aaron Rodgers. I don't think you take him out. Here's a couple of text messages that came in. I feel the same way as Brian D did about benching Rodgers before the Cowboy game. Unfortunately, benching Rodgers would put love behind center, and love becomes a free agent next year. So, rolling Rodgers would turn into rolling love, and having him injured would not be very good for the Packers' salary cap. If they needed to trade him next year. So, that's long term, big brain thinking. is the number. Do you, actually, um, do you do this? Do you you run it? Do you not? I don't think you bench him. I don't think you can. More text messages. One said, bring back Favre. (laughs) Oh, man. That guy was a tank. He could have played as long as he wanted to. And as long as you don't mind how many interceptions he throws. That was the big joke always. Brett Favre. I wonder, because he plays with a bunch of high school kids now. I think he's down south. He's got that controversy that's going on based on some money that came in, but you know, without even trying to get political or even talking about that sort of thing. I'm guessing if he's on the field most days, he's probably working out, doing certain things. He might still be able to throw the ball, but <laughs> I don't know what you're expecting here. He's older than Tom Brady, and Brady's showing his wear this year, too. One person said, I can give you 50 million reasons why Aaron should play every game. Okay, I get that. Uh, One person said, thanks for your reply. Go, pack, go. Okay, that's a good one, too. All right. And then more people still texting about the tree. I get it. So you get the win. You feel good about it. And then afterwards, what do you do? You just basically say to yourself, "Uh, you know, you don't want to write the year off. You love football so much some people are more apathetic and they say he's not going to last forever you know maybe we see what we can get otherwise but no you don't bench an aaron rodgers and then what unless you give him the idea that he could be benched and maybe he comes back out with a vengeance cuz some people are motivated by that and some people are hurt they just might say forget it trade me <laughs> cuz he's done certain things like that in the past too but no you don't bench aaron rodgers you want to see him going out there and win how about you You set up the stage for a triumphant turnaround for the team that makes the playoffs, and that will make it even better yet. And who knows? After the break, uh, we're going to take one now, eight five five six one six one six twenty. There's a few other stories, at least in the headlines, Fox 2, or excuse me, Fox 6 and CBS 58, two separate instances where there's home invasions and then instances of crime affecting the elderly. And I hear about these things, and some of the lowest of low would go and try to hassle and assault or hurt elderly people in their own home. I mean, there's very few crimes I think of that stoop to lower levels than that. And I wanted to talk about these two instances coming up and what I think should be done for it. 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker, failing in on WTMJ. Don't go anywhere.
0: Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: And I'm Ryan Recker, filling in. I saw a text message in some calls that came in during the break. I think Ellen mentioned that when she watches a Packers game afterwards, she's watching the press conferences and the players get a chance to speak to the media, people ask questions. She gave an observation, which was, Hey, um, you notice that Aaron Rodgers never wears Packers gear after a game? I don't know if that's looking too far into it. I don't know if that observation's correct. I can't say I've noticed that myself. It's an interesting observation. Do you think that's a subtle nod that he's like, I'm just doing this for the paycheck? I don't know. Probably not. I think he cares about what he does in Green Bay. I don't think there's any question about him caring about the team. I, I, I just don't see that. But I don't know what you're implying there. But it's an interesting observation. Maybe an observation to just be an observation. In about an hour from now, I'm going to join a political historian by the name of Rich Rubino. I've had him on the show before. He's going to respond to the Democratic representative, Jamie Raskin, suggesting that far-right legislators could actually vote Donald Trump is the next Speaker of the House. I thought, that's so absurd. And I asked him about it, and he said, well, no, technically it could happen. I said, well, wait a minute. Can you explain how that works, and has it ever been tried before in the past? So our political historian will uh, join us next hour. And I wanted to pay tribute to a radio show host that you heard here on WTMJ for many years. His name was Jim Bohannon. He did the late overnight show on Westwood One. Carried on, I mean, hundreds of radio stations across the country. His last show was mid-October, and on November 12th, just two days ago, he passed away from cancer. We're going to talk about the legacy of Jim Bohannon. I'm sure many of you are familiar with him because he was on the station for so long. And, wow, just a sad thing. He's a Radio Hall of Famer, all-around nice guy. People just absolutely loved Jim Bohannon. So if you listen to him some late nights here on WTMJ, then we're going to pay tribute to him next hour, too. Two different stories that are headlines now. Let's go to Fox Six Milwaukee, the police department investigating a robbery home invasion that happened yesterday near fifty sixth in Thurston. About eight fifteen at night, you had an elderly couple inside of their home, an eighty-six year old Milwaukee man, eighty-two year old Milwaukee woman at home at the time of the incident. What you end up having is someone breaking into their house and this home invasion, of course, very startling. And you end up hurting them. The 86-year-old man was taken to the hospital with injuries. The woman was taken there as a precaution because of their age. Anytime you get up to that certain point in life, you I, it's so strange. Because when I'm younger and I'm in my house and I hear a noise, I'm checking things out. I don't know if I'll ever get to the point where I'm not cautious about my surroundings. But maybe at a certain age... You don't hear the rustling outside anymore. And you've gone so long without someone trying to break into your house that you just leave your guard down. You don't expect these things to happen. It's so scary to think that there are people in this world that would victimize elderly couples. And same thing happened. There's another story, too. Uh, You can find this one elderly woman found dead, man shot by police, injured in an overnight incident. And this is something that other news is reporting, CBS 58. I'm looking at the story from there. And I'm looking at this. Uh, They arrived to the home. A 31-year-old man was in there. And you got this elderly couple that uh, 75 years old. Now, please don't yell at me for saying elderly couple. That's just what uh, what they describe as this elderly woman who was dead inside of her house after this overnight incident. It's absolutely tragic and is, and terrible. Police in kind responded with force to this man that was in there with the weapon, and you probably have been hearing updates through the news here on WTMJ. We've been covering it here. The suspect, uh, 24-year-old, uh, the suspect, you know, was in that confrontation with police. The police officer was actually struck, non fatal injuries, taken to the hospital for that one. The office, uh, I, here's, here's part of it all. I look at this and say a couple of different incidences, two in a row, same night same day i should say within 24 hours to be safe that you have these elderly people inside of their own home victimized and i think about the type of person that would try to hurt an elderly person um there's just certain levels of crimes that are like the lowest of low if you have a crime against a child lowest to low when you go to prison and they find out you committed a crime against a child Whatever happens to that person in prison, I have zero sympathy for. I don't care if their life is made miserable for every second they're in that prison. I have no sympathy for everything they go through because they harmed a child. I would also say that if you go to prison and they find out you hurt grandma and grandpa that were minding their own business inside of this house, you're treated the same way. I would have zero sympathy if, while in prison, people found out about it, and they said, that could have been my parents. Uh, We're going to do something about it. Zero sympathy whatsoever if that happens inside of prison. I wonder, too, what type of person would break into a house, notice the people that are inside, and continue on with what they were doing, and not have second thoughts. Uh, We're just at the point where, in society, we... Have lost our minds like there was a time when if you were committing a crime, then stop me if I'm wrong with this, 855-616-1620. I was under the impression there was a certain time in society where there was a certain amount of dignity with being a criminal. <laughs> and it sounds so strange saying that out loud, but there were certain lines you wouldn't cross. There were certain lines, as in, if you see that the person that you're about to rob is an old lady, you don't rob that person. We're past that point. There are no lines anymore. Anything goes. They have zero sympathy for the person they're victimizing. And it's just completely wild, wild west out there anymore. There is just almost no criminal ethics, (laughs) to say the least. Not to say there was a lot before, but at least there was a certain line that criminals wouldn't draw. There is no lines anymore. They'll do whatever they want to do. They're so so short-sighted when it comes to the crimes that they're committing that anyone and everyone could be a victim. And the problem that we run into is that when we're in a city, or any city across the United States, that have these very liberal-leaning, progressive-minded Uh, district attorneys, circuit attorneys, that they're more inclined to say, well, you know, it's better for the system if we just let them out. We're not going to put a high bond or bail. We're not going to look at all the other crimes they committed. We just need to get them back onto the street because we don't want this ruining their lives. It creates this idea that you can get away with more and more and more because there's no repercussion. And we see this rising all over the place. It really hurts me to think about the victim that died in their own home and now the elderly couple who are victimized and hurt because we're at this point today in society. It really makes me sad. 855-616-1620. You can find those stories online, too. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ. More Jeff Wagner right after this. A couple of text messages to get to to look at. Here's um, a few. This is why the Second Amendment is important. I get that. One person said, you're delusional. If you think there used to be a line for criminals, there never was. You even refer to it as the Wild Wild West. Uh, You read too many dime novels. (laughs) Jokes on you, I read zero dime novels. (laughs) But going back and thinking, there used to be a certain thing where they had amounts of at least a tiny bit of shame. And that shame would cause them to second-guess some of the crimes they were committing. And at this point, I feel like there's no shame in criminals. But I think there was a point where there's at least a little bit of shame. One person texting in, uh, are you kidding? Whoever there was didn't care who was inside. Okay, Another person said children, the elderly, and animals, include animals in there. If you do something to an animal, you don't care what happens to them while in prison. Another person said, no criminal ethics, no criminal punishment, no severe consequences, no precedent being set so the others will stop. That's an interesting point. The precedent of people getting off, cycled back onto the street after they commit these violent crimes, whatever it is, they look at that and say, well, maybe the risk is worth taking if all I'm going to do is get, you know, basically no bond or nothing, and then I'm back out on the street. You know, the 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 risk of committing the crime is all of a sudden a risk management, the risk assessment, I should say, and they say that it's worth it. I hope that's not the case, but I feel like that goes on, even if it's subconscious. And we're kind of setting that stage for them to make that decision, make it easy for them. One person said, I spent half of the last weekend helping a close family member and assisted living, and those stories particularly scare me. It would not be too difficult for someone to slip into a place unnoticed. Yeah, there's terrible human beings that take advantage of the elderly in other ways. It may not be violent crimes. Sometimes violence or harm is committed, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's theft or whatever. Uh, Elder abuse is a real thing, sure. I'm talking about someone breaking into a home and home invasion and hurting another elderly person. Just terrible. Wow, look at all these text messages. Not sure if they had access to a weapon, but a gun pointed at a purple make them... Second, think uh, their life choices. Okay. Another text message. Yes, we have reached the point with crime that has crossed the line. It sickens me of the animalistic behavior of criminals beating and robbing elderly people. Another text message. No morals. It's drug addiction and no one who teaches them about being productive members of society. Thank you for those text messages at eight five five six one six one six twenty. Real quick, some big news coming in today from Summerfest. I don't know if you saw this from earlier, but now the headliner has been announced, Imagine Dragons. This is clip six. Some super big songs here of Imagine Dragons. They're scheduled to be the headliners on Saturday, July 8th huge get. I mean, this is a worldwide sensation of a band, and they're going to be at Summerfest next year. Great announcement from Summerfest this morning to uh, put that one out there. Good for them. Happy to hear it. I'm sure there'll be a ton of people coming out to, uh, to witness that one. All right, uh, coming up after the break, I don't know if you saw a big interview with former Vice President Mike Pence on ABC. We're going to discuss that. I'm going to talk to my political historian about the Speaker of the House. And we're going to remember Jim Bohannon, which you heard on this very radio station. He passed away from cancer over the weekend. You're listening to WTMJ. Live
0: from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner. Here's your host, Ryan
1: Recker. Always great to be with you, and I'm always happy to see the text messages. And the text line is 855-616-1620. A couple of text messages. and One interesting text message came in just in regards to the topic we had before the news at the top of the hour. It was just how brazen criminals have become. And really, there's no line they won't cross anymore. It seems like there is nothing that stops them, not even to the point of elder abuse or children. It's quite terrifying. And one person said the same thing happens in the workplace. I think this is in response to how lenient we've become about breaking rules, laws, things like that, but in this case, rules. It said, oh, you can make it to work on time. Uh, Can't do your job. That's okay. If you can't make it, you can't do it. We're just... You know everything's got to be catered on your schedule. Uh, you know I kind of see that point, and I do see that in society where there's certain amount of norms that we used to have. Norms meaning that you would show up to work on time, you would actually work when you're at work, and they didn't really have an obligation of bending over and catering to you. But here we are; things have changed some. Wow, I, I kind of see that trend. I do. Maybe that's for another time, another discussion. In a About 25 minutes from now, political historian Rich Rubino will join us, and I saw that Democratic Representative Jamie Raskin suggested that far-right lawmakers could vote Donald Trump as the next Speaker of the House. I thought, uh, what are you talking about? (laughs) Is it really far-fetched? Can it happen? Has it happened where someone that's not in a political office at the time was elevated to Speaker of the House? And... Tell me about the times it was attempted, or at least discussed. We'll talk to Richard Bino about that. And I also wanted to ask him about pardoning turkeys. There's a long history of presidents pardoning turkeys. Why do we do that? What's up with that tradition? So I thought, since I have him on the line, we'll discuss those two things. ABC News and Peter Murr had a sit-down with Donald Tr- uh, Trump's vice president. That is Vice President Mike Pence. I've had uh, – I say Peter Mur, I meant David Murr, excuse me. I've had a lot of instances with Mike Pence. When I lived in Indiana, I was working in Fort Wayne. We were a news talk radio station. And because of that, we had a lot of interactions with politicians. And at the time, Mike Pence was governor of Indiana. I remember when Donald Trump back in 2016 was putting a lot of attention into Indiana, just like we saw Ted Cruz, because it was kind of like the last stand. If they were going to prevent Donald Trump from getting the Republican nomination, there had to have been more states down the line that showed their support towards Ted Cruz, and at the time, he announced Carly Fiorina was his running mate. Well, that ended up not happening, but if you remember, you had Donald Trump fly in to talk to the governor. At this point, it was him and Chris Christie, and I remember that meeting, because it was a very interesting meeting, and I remember talking to him on air about that meeting, what they talked about, how it went. And afterwards, after Donald Trump became the Republican nominee for president in 2016 to run against Hillary Clinton at that time, still wasn't the official nominee, I guess Bernie Sanders technically was still running at that time, a lot of people wondered, okay, is that meeting with Mike Pence kind of like feeling out the idea if he would become a running mate, would he be a good running mate? And then afterwards, soon after, they made the announcement, he's running with Mike Pence. That shocked some people. It didn't shock me. I remember going on the air and talking to Mike Pence about this, about the meeting, what he thought about Donald Trump. And his impressions of Donald Trump were a lot different than his impressions of Donald Trump after this interview I just watched with ABC and the sit-down they had. Because they go back and look at what happened on January 6th. The Mike Pence that I spoke to some years ago said that, okay, this is the kind of guy that he is behind the scenes. And I agree with him on a lot of these standpoints. He may be a controversial person, but he has these same universal feelings, politically speaking. Now, after the fact, now we know after four years and then after January 6th that the mindset of Mike Pence has changed. And I wanted to play this one clip from ABC's sit down with now Vice President Mike Pence on his thoughts of January 6th. Now, just a quick note. I had to edit this clip just for the sake of time because there was a long gap where Mike Pence didn't speak. But let me play for you and get your reaction at 855-616-1620. This is clip number two. 2.24 p.m., the president tweets, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do
3: what
0: should have been done. It angered me. But I turned to my daughter who was standing nearby, and I said, it doesn't take courage to break the law. It takes courage to uphold
1: the law. I mean, the president's words were reckless. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. Okay, so that's the big clip that they're promoting as part of this interview with Vice President Pence. And I'm sure you'll see more and more of these clips come out as they air the full interview on ABC. That's a good, good sit-down. So I, I was listening to this. I'm very curious to see it in full context and how they talk about this more. And this is coming off of a midterm election where there was an opportunity for Republicans to really take advantage of the situation. People are unhappy with a lot of different aspects of this country, me included. I do not like the amount of debt we're going into. I don't like the massive amount of uh, out-of-control inflation. I don't like how we even cater to the idea of all of these extremely progressive ideas like student loan forgiveness and how that will implicate our future when it comes to even further debt. I don't like the direction schools are going into in a lot of different ways. And I think about the crime going rampant and how we're just becoming more complacent to the idea that we have to be more sympathetic to people that commit violent crimes and give them a million chances because we see the examples on the streets of what's come from that. I see people's savings going just down and down and down every time they look at it i see more and more people being laid off let go we see every day like i think one of the headlines today was amazon's gonna let more workers off and this is supposed to be their busy season it really worries me about the future of this country and what could be happening next and the midterm elections came around and all signs pointed to the republicans being able to point to those things and say this is what you would get with joe biden in democrats and guess what happened there was no red wave in fact The exact opposite happened. It looks like the Democrats are going to be able to keep at least power in the Senate, uh, at the very least, because of the tiebreaker vote, even if Herschel Walker wins in the runoff election. It doesn't matter. They'll still have the tiebreaker vote. And there's even a chance that they win the House back, which is unheard of. None of this should have happened this way. So it doesn't surprise me after the fact that Vice President Mike Pence could come out, say these things, as kind of the last warning, hey, um, Donald Trump, it's time for you to step aside. What you're doing is not working. We need to go in a different direction. Much like some people looking at Aaron Rodgers being benched, I think it's time we say, uh, okay, if Mike Pence comes out and says it's time to bench Donald Trump, he needs to listen. I want to point out one thing. There's a lot of people maybe listening right now that feel the way I feel. And I felt this way for a while. I mean I've I've said that I don't think Donald Trump should run for re election. I don't think he should be the Republican nominee. I think it's time to move aside. I've said this for an awful long time, awful, awful long time. It's just not a good strategic play. Maybe there's some people that still believe that he should run again. I don't know. I think I'm with Mike Pence here and I've known him for a long time, not personally, but interviewed him, and he's a good guy. And there's no reason to disbelieve anything he says in the way that he feels. Time to sit down, time to step aside. I I think this is kind of the last straw, really. Once you hear Mike Pence come out on the record and say the things that he's saying right now after being quiet for as long as he has, this is the last straw. Move away from Donald Trump. 855-616-1620. Give us a call. Uh, I'd like to hear what you think about this interview, your thoughts on that coming up after the break. 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker filling in. Filling in for Jeff Wagner. Don't go anywhere.
0: Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Uh, We are getting an awful lot of text messages in right now at 855-616-1620. I would like to hear from you. Use your phone and call in. It's always better for you to be able to represent your voice that way. And if you disagree with me even better, 855-616-1620. We don't have a lot of time uh, this break because I ran late in the first segment. But I do want to make sure we get some calls before our political historian, Richard Bino, after the one thirty news. So let's look at a couple of these text messages coming in. Um, Pence talks now. Sheesh, Paul Ryan, Mike Pence, and others could have spoken up about Trump on January 7th, 8th, or 9th of 2021. But they didn't. Okay, that text message is from Jim. Uh, One person texted in and angers me to hear this clip about how President Trump treated his own vice president. There are some Republicans who defend Donald Trump at all costs. I cannot fathom how those people don't defend Mike Pence, who served our country with dignity and honor. That was a text message there. Let me just comment at this point. It's such a weird way we're going to have to look back at the legacy of Donald Trump in hindsight. You can look at such a weird dynamic of the way the country was, what he meant for the country, what he did to the country, the controversy around it, the controversies that were drummed up and fake, the controversies that ended up being very embarrassing and real. I mean, there's so many dynamics to Donald Trump. I think people can grab on to the part that they like and say that the other stuff could be excused if I can keep the things I like about him. And it's such a weird play because in, I guess, my life, we've looked at politics as a almost a package deal. You get the whole whole thing. And we kind of abandoned that mindset with Donald Trump. I would definitely circle back to the way the economy was with Donald Trump and probably point out that all of these big tech companies that are firing 10,000 at a time would also yearn for the days of the Trump economy. Is the economy the biggest motivator for you? In some ways, having a job and being wealthy and successful in your life and being able to uh, hold a family together uh, these are all very core values of what we know as American values. And you know what? Those are being destroyed right now. So I can see why you would be able to grab uh, one one part of the aspect and ignore some of the other parts. I get it. I totally do. But it doesn't mean we can't discuss it all as a whole, and we can't examine each part of it and what's the good and what's the bad. I think that's the hard thing with Donald Trump. It's uh, either all good or all bad. But no, I think there's good and bad that we can discuss with him. Uh, Text message from Rick in Norway. No red wave uh, happened because all those negative things that you just said or cited uh, are not, in fact, negative things. The country is doing just fine, and there's no need for you to worry about the people's pocketbooks. (laughs) I don't know if you mean that tongue-in-cheek, but what do you mean? Everything's fine. (laughs) That's laughable. No, everything's not fine. Actually, things are not good at all. A uh, couple of text messages. Pence didn't have, uh, didn't do anything for two years. He refused to testify at the January 6th committee. Now he comes out with a big book deal. Republicans have no heroes because they exiled them long ago. This whole, you know, the Liz Cheney mindset. Oh, the Republican hero that we're looking for. Kinzinger. Oh, the Republican heroes we're looking for. No, I don't know. I, I just don't see that either. I, I don't really look at them as heroes per se. Um, but some people do. Text message, uh, uh, values are not being destroyed. You're definitely part of the problem, not the solution. Oh, there's a lot of values that are being destroyed here today. Uh, you know, if you wanted to call in, let's do it. we got a moment after the break, just for your call, Rick, if you want to. 855-616-1620, we got to do that. And don't forget, political historian Richard Bino's joining us in about uh, 15, 20 minutes from now, I should say, regarding one of the interesting things that Democratic Representative Jamie Haskins brought up, about the next Speaker of the House position. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
0: Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner
1: on WTMJ. A couple more text messages coming in. If you want to call in, we've only got a couple minutes at 855-616-1620. Uh, Text message, Pence should have spoken up on the day after, January 6th. It could have stopped all the crazies in their tracks. He's just promoting a book. Don't buy it. Okay. Uh, One person texted in, I'd rather have a job and other core activities around that than be part of the destruction of our cities, destruction and distortion of our history, or other social so-called progressive activities. Trump created problems but didn't destroy our country. That is an interesting point because... There were certain problems that Donald Trump did create, but the idea is that he ultimately tried to put America's best interest first. So the way he handled foreign policy, for example, how many times did you hear people say that he's a laughingstock to the rest of the world? But then he went and negotiated certain deals with other countries, tried to say that you need to basically handle your fair share As in, the United States doesn't have to put the entire weight of the world's... on their shoulders and pay for everything anymore. And you saw that some other countries started to figure these things out and agree. And how many times have you watched videos of some of his speeches after the fact? There's one that became very famous when he was warning Germany, if you rely on Russia for your energy, uh, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And what did they show the delegates of of Germany laughing at Donald Trump? Oh, yeah, right. Ha, 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 ha. And here we are today. Uh, So many other lies were brought up against him that it was so difficult to tell what was true or not anymore, and it became so hysterical at a certain point, you realize that it's either you love him or you hate him, and you're just going to ignore anything to the contrary, when really, you should be digesting everything together and pointing out what's the good and what's the bad. You can look at each of those individual portions of him, and you can come up with an honest assessment, but I keep seeing text messages from Rick in Norway. I don't think that he is capable of looking at the good and giving credit where the good is due. I get that. And there's a lot of people that are like that, If, if even if they love Donald Trump. There's so many people that are like that. On the contrary, they just look at the good things, and are, it's very difficult for them to admit the bad. And I think that's why moments with Vice President Mike Pence, who sat down with ABC, is doing this interview. Sure, there may be motivations to sell a book and come out right now, but the fact that it's after the midterms, and the fact that Donald Trump has yet to announce if he's officially running for president again in a couple of years this may be kind of like the last straw like we really need to re-examine this and maybe maybe mike pence saying something could hit home to him who knows i, I just really don't know so many text it's just unbelievable the amount of text messages we're getting to this right now and quite frankly i, I can't read them all but some of them are agreeing some are disagreeing it's it's a very controversial topic i get that there was one story i read over the weekend on the hill is from democratic representative jamie raskin he's suggesting that far-right legislators could vote donald trump as the next speaker of the house you may be thinking about this right now and saying that is so absurd well technically it could happen is it likely to happen no but uh it could happen <laughs> so uh, how does that happen uh, has it been tried in the past where a non-politician has become Speaker of the House? Uh, in Has it been attempted, you know? What, what's the likelihood that we see something like that? So my political historian friend, Richard Bino, joins us after the break. And later this hour, too, someone that you heard on this radio station, Jim Bohannon, for many years, was a late-night king. He was on and syndicated through many radio stations across the country. Uh, lost his battle with cancer over the weekend. Real sad moment. I wanted to remember him with one of his fill-in host guests name's uh, mcgraw Millhaven, he would fill in frequently for Jim Bohannon so I wanted to ask him what made Jim Bohannon a special broadcaster so we'll talk about his life and legacy a little bit later too for all you late night radio listeners that recognize him and his legacy and what a great broadcaster he was WTMJ news time is 1.30 and now from the WTMJ breaking news center here's Alex Crow Jeff Wagner on WTMJ I find this to be a real fascinating idea. Not that I would like to see it happen, but the fact that it could happen. In The Hill, over the weekend, there was an article, and they quoted Democratic Representative Jamie Raskin. And he suggests that far-right lawmakers could nominate and vote former President Donald Trump as the next Speaker of the House. That is, if the Republicans are able to take over the House, and they get to nominate the Speaker of the House that way, a real fascinating thought, is it even possible, and how far-fetched is it? Joining us now is political historian Rich Rabino, author of the book, The Great American Political Trivia Challenge. Hello, Rich. How are you?
4: Good, Ryan. Thanks so much for
1: having me on again. All right, so the big question is, is this possible?
4: Yes, absolutely. Under the Constitution, all it says about the Speaker is, ch- is that the House shall choose their Speaker and other officers. Now, they probably met... It would probably imply, we have no way of knowing, that that meant that the Speaker had to be an actual member of the body. Now, the Articles of Confederation or Petrol union the precursor, basically said the Speaker has to be a member of the body. But this is a loophole, and sometimes what happens is that conservative Democrats, who do not want to vote for their party's leadership, will sometimes vote for somebody else outside of the body. Sometimes they'll vote for someone inside the body. For example, Gene Taylor of Mississippi always voted for Jack Murtha of Pennsylvania, but some, like, for example, Jim Cooper of Tennessee would often vote for Colin Powell. He did not want to vote for Nancy Pelosi. He did not want to vote for Kevin McCarthy. So he would vote for somebody outside of the chamber. And that is true. Essentially, you can vote for anybody you want because there's nothing in the Constitution that states that it has to be a sitting member of Congress. Now, that's never happened in history. And there's never been anyone that's gotten more than two or three votes that's been outside of the body. But it is, it is, it is technically feasible and possible.
1: Yeah, that to me is just kind of mind-boggling that's even feasible. And you're mentioning yes. Colin Powell, so at least you're talking about people with some prominence within government. Has anyone ever even floated the idea of bringing someone out that's a former politician or in some cases not a politician at all?
4: No, no, not at all. Nobody's ever put up, you know, like no no one's ever put up somebody that's completely outside of the political Spear. No one's put it up like, you know, Snooky or Wow or just done it as a joke or anything like that. But, um, but theoretically, theoretically, they could do that. And this is the Trump scenario. Now, this is extremely unrealistic. But the scenario is that somebody from the Republican Party, theoretically, so what happens is basically they go around. It's the clerk basically reads every single name of the every single name of a member of Congress. And when they read them, they yelled out who, their person is, who the person is going to be that, getting, that they want to be Speaker of the House. And generally speaking, the Republicans nominate the leader of the Republican Party. So in the Republicans' case, it would be, say it would be Kevin McCarthy. And in the Democrats' case, this is going back to the last election, for example, the Democrats would say would yell Pelosi. And there would be a couple of wayward Democrats, like Gerald Goldman from Maine, last time nominated Tammy Duckworth, who's actually a member of the United States Senate so she would have to i guess go back and forth between the house and the senate if it actually happened but they're basically doing it so that they can distance themselves and say when they're up for re-election that they did not vote for this that they not vote for the for the for the leadership of their own party which is probably unpopular but let's say just as kind of an intellectual exercise here that someone says trump and say 218 if 218 which is the majority of the house members of the house say 218 again this is not going to happen and all of a sudden, yes, Trump would be Speaker of the House, and Joe Biden would be delivering his State of the Union. You have the President of the Senate and Kamala Harris sitting behind him, and you have Donald Trump sitting behind him as the Speaker of the House. And then theoretically, <laughs> if Donald Trump, theoretically, let's say the Republicans control the House of Representatives, and let's say they somehow get somehow they get the United States Senate to convict Joe Biden for something. And Again, this is not going to happen. It's not feasible. Then theoretically, Donald Trump is, sec- is third in line to be the presidency, or second in line, so therefore Donald Trump would propel himself to the White House again. <laughs> that is physically possible, okay.
1: yes. <laughs> this, this is more of a thought experiment than anything yeah. else oh, realistic. Yeah. Uh, political yeah. historian Richard Bino joining us here. So I guess hypothetically, could they nominate the vice president, and the vice president, of course, presides over the Senate, could the vice president also be at the same time Speaker of the House and preside over the House?
4: Absolutely. Um, That's how liberal this this language is. All it says, again, all it says is they shall choose their Speaker and other officers. By the way, there was a time, there were two actually members, there were two people who actually were Speaker of the House and Vice President, and one of them was the the inimitable Schuyler-Colfax under the Grant administration, but also John Nance Garner. And John Nance Garner, who came from Texas, he was Speaker of the House and actually resigned his seat the same day that he became Vice President. So He's the only person in American history to be both President of the Ho- to be both Speaker of the House and President of the Senate on the exact same day.
1: <laughs> so it has happened, I guess. At least in but, that, so, that he standpoint. Didn't do, he
4: didn't do it con- concomitantly. He did one, and then he resigned a couple hours later. He resigned his House seat, and then he re- and he resigned his speakership. or I guess he resigned his House seat, and then he became the president of the um, the president of the Senate in his role as the vice president. By the way, the vice president's actually paid as a member of the United States Senate. So they're not actually technically a member of the executive branch. But yes it is possible. I guess theoretically if you'd really take this take this then I guess the President of the United States, if somebody were to say, let's say all the Democrats said we want Joe Biden as speaker, theoretically Joe Biden can be the President of the United States and the Speaker. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, this is great. Okay. Okay. More hypotheticals. Okay. Let's just say that uh, we're just throwing this out there for the fun of the thought exercise. So you have the president of the United States as Joe Biden. And let's say they say, okay, we want to make Joe Biden the Speaker of the House. So he's yeah. president and Speaker of the House. Let's say there's a moment where the vice president role was not filled. And let's say there was a moment where the president was impeached but then through the line of succession with no vice president means it become speaker of the house could they hypothetically impeach a president that in return is speaker of the house that is moved to president
4: yes absolutely that could absolutely happen <laughs> no way yes oh absolutely i mean the, the, the 25th amendment this goes back to 1967 they passed that because there was this big discrepancy and lyndon johnson came in after kennedy's assassination he gives Addressed the joint session of Congress, who had Carl Aiden, who's about 86 years old, who's the president pro temp third in line to the presidency, and then John McCormick, who was 74 years old and probably looked older from Massachusetts, the Speaker of the House. And people said those are the two people that would come into power if Lyndon Johnson were to if Lyndon Johnson were to pass away. So immediately, at Birch Bayh's amendment, this, uh, this 25th amendment gets the amendment gets ratified, and essentially the president now can choose a vice president. The vice president then has to be chose just has to be selected. By the United States Senate, but there certainly is a, tempor- is a temporary um, basis where there is no vice president. This happened, for example, when when when, 19, when, um, when Richard Nixon when when Richard Nixon um, when when Spearwagner running Richard Nixon's running mate vice president resigned, and he had to put Gerald Ford in between that time. There was no vice president. Similarly, Gerald Ford comes in. Nelson Rockefeller was not he was a choice for vice president, but there certainly in the interim there was no vice president. So yes, it is theoretically possible. Another thing that is interesting. You cannot be a member of both the executive branch and be a member of Congress. So let's say something were to happen. Let's say Joe Biden, let's say right now is Nancy Pelosi being speaker. Let's say Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were both impeached and convicted. That would mean that Nancy Pelosi would have to immediately, at least this is the way I read it, resign her seat in the House of Representatives in order to become the vice president. So in order to become President, because I don't think you can res- you can preside in both seats, and there has to be a special election in San Francisco to succeed her. And then theoretically, let's say she's only in for a couple of days, and let's say we get a new, let's say um, let's say there's a new. She pre- doesn't want to be president. She could then resign the presidency and run, and then run for reelection in that open, in that special election.
1: these loopholes are almost out of science fiction how crazy they can go All right, so thanks for the thought experiment and okay now we get to learn more about the succession there that wow wouldn't that be a crazy storyline we've already seen crazy storylines it could get even crazier I think that's the moral of the story do you mind holding on after the break I I wanted to ask you about presidents and pardoning turkeys as we're getting close to Thanksgiving Uh, Rich Rubino is a political historian he's the author of the Great American Political Trivia Challenge politi-geek.com and you can find him on social media he'll come back after the break here on WTMJ
0: stay tuned Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ this is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ
1: only well, got a couple more minutes left with our guest Richard Bino he's a political historian he's got a book out and as you can tell he loves political trivia I think you should check it out if you like what he's talking about here the great American political trivia challenge and, Rich, I wanted to ask you, with Thanksgiving on the way, and we're looking yeah. towards next week, there's this tradition of presidents pardoning turkeys. When did that start?
4: Uh, well, it actually, technically it started under the Lincoln administration, but this is very unofficial. And This is actually, this could be apocryphal, but this is a story, is that his son, Tad, um, developed a relationship with a turkey that, was, um, spo- that the president was supposed to essentially eat, and he said, can you please keep this as a pet? And President Lincoln, as an animal lover, said yes, so that was the first unofficial um, then other presidents, what would happen is they would get, the turkeys actually, it's actually was a farmer in Rhode Island sent a turkey to President Grant, and it became a tradition that farmers would send um, turkeys to the president. Now, in Harry Truman in 1947, he did an official ceremony with the turkey, not talking about other politicians, but actual turkeys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have to throw that one in there. And, um, he did, but he, but he, but. Bill Clinton later, during another pardoning of the president, of turkey said that this tradition began with President Truman, but actually the evidence, the evidence today dictates that Truman actually probably ate that turkey. So when did the, so when did the president actually pardon a turkey? The first one, unofficially again, was probably 19, was probably John F. Kennedy, when essentially there was actually the turkey came and it said "Good eating, Mr. President." There's a big picture of Everett Dirksen, the minority leader from Illinois. Um, with President Kennedy, and President Kennedy supposedly said, let's spare it, let's do a reprieve. So he did that, and then the, and then, what happened to the future to the turkeys under Presidents Johnson, Nixon, Ford, we don't really know, and Carter, but in, in 1987, under the Iran-Contra scandal, President Reagan was in, and reporters were asking questions, would you pardon John Join Poindexter, or would you pardon Colonel Oliver North? And he made a joke about, well, he's going to, essentially, he might pardon this turkey. So that's where the kind of the, the actual term—the first time anyone actually used the term "pardoning" became, came up. But then its successor, George H. W. Bush, was doing the official ceremony with the turkey, the National Turkey Federation. There were protesters out, um, animal rights protesters, and President Bush said essentially, well well, well, "Well, we'll let this one live." And that is where probably the tradition where it is now pretty much finite, that a president will come in and will pardon the turkey. And President Bush later on said that was one of the things he really found annoying about his job, that he had to do this every year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rich Rabino, you can find his book online. I love, by the way, the idea that farmers were sending turkeys to the White House unsolicited. They're just, here you go, White House, here's a turkey. Uh, you can find his book, The Great American Political Trivia Challenge. He's online, polita-geek.com. He's on social media, Rich Rabino, Thanks for spending time with us on WTMJ. I appreciate it much i greatly enjoyed it so one of the great late night hosts here on wtmj for many years was jim bohannon and over the weekend he passed away from cancer to remember him we're going to talk to one of his fill-in hosts mark uh, excuse me mcraw millhaven he hosts a show in st louis and i wanted to let him tell the story of jim bohannon what made him a special broadcaster and we're going to do that after the break i'm ryan recker filling in on wtmj more jeff wagner right after this Any late-night radio listener is probably familiar with Jimbo Bohannon. He hosted a show for, oh, man, how many decades? I think all the way back to the 1960s he started his broadcast career, but you heard him fill in for Larry King before he went to CNN, and then afterwards Jimbo took after that time slot and stayed there for many years. He was on 500 radio stations, even this one here at WTMJ, and it wasn't until his last show on October 14th that he announced that he had some serious medical issues, cancer. And he said, the doctors told me I could be three weeks, it could be three months. I, I don't know, but it's not looking good. Uh, he, about four weeks after he passed away, uh, November 12th. And his final message is, I was listening to it over the weekend. And he mentioned a broadcaster I know, mcgraw Millhaven. He's someone that filled in for Jim Bohannon on multiple occasions. And to talk about Jim Bohannon, his legacy, and what made him a special broadcaster, we welcome McGraw Millhaven on to WTMJ. Hello, McGraw.
5: Hello, uh, Ryan. Thanks for asking. It's a sad day, but uh, love to talk about Jim.
1: I am um, sad to hear this because a lot of people really didn't understand he was sick. I think when it was reported that he was retiring, they thought, oh, you know, he's up there in age. He's 78, so it's time. But really it was because he was sick. I I was hoping that instead of dwelling on that, we can talk about what made him a special broadcaster and what you may have admired about him.
5: Well, uh, first of all, um, you know, as a radio geek, I remember listening to Jim Bohannon back in high school, and there was a caller who used to call into the Larry King show. And he would, and then Jim would do Saturday nights. And this listener would call in and say he had Larry King for president, Jim Bohannon for vice president, bumper stickers. And he said, he said, and Larry would 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 let him give his address over the air and put in one dollar. And as like a teenager, I got out of bed, wrote the number, wrote the address down, put a self-addressed stamped envelope and a dollar in, and then. And then three weeks later, I got this bumper sticker because King, president, to vice president. So all these years later, right? I get into radio and I meet Jim Bohannon, and I say, Jim, um, I have the le-
1: oh, uh oh, oh, McGraw Millhaven. We just the phone line dropped. You know, between Rich Bino and McGraw, I wonder if we're having some phone issues because that was a little bit gravelly there too. And at first I thought, oh, I wonder if it's just our connection or not. So hopefully we'll be able to get McGraw back. Oh, what a great story. Send a dollar in to get a Larry King Jimbo Hannon bumper sticker. Oh, I want to go to eBay right now and find out if I can pick up one of those. Oh, man. We'll see if we can get McGraw back, but oh, that's a bummer. But he filled in for Jimbo Hannon for you know years, to the late-night host and show. And when Jimbo had his last show, he gave a shout-out to a lot of his filling guests over the years and included... McGraw Millhaven to thank him for his work there. So I'm glad he was able to join me there for a second. I had a pleasure of meeting Jim Bohannon about five years ago at the Radio Hall of Fame ceremonies. This would have been two thousand and seventeen. And since Jim Bohannon was the MC of the night, he also hosted his late night show from the Radio Hall of Fame. And I stuck around, and I kind of just, like, watched him do his show. He had John Records' Landecker on and actor Bradley Whitford in the studio while I was there. And then afterwards, he invited me onto his show, and we talked about radio and what it's like being a late-night talk show host. And we had callers call in asking about the radio industry. It was actually a really awesome moment, and what probably my most fun professional night of my life. Um, to be able to induct someone into the Radio Hall of Fame and then stick around and to meet Jim Bohannon and to take pictures and to just be part of all of that radio history that was there. He'll be truly missed, passing away on November 12th, just a couple of weeks after his last show, which was on October 14th. Jim Bohannon, a true legend, true, true legend. Uh, hopefully we can situate the phone lines to get those back, because coming up after the break, I saw a story, and the story was about, jobs in posting salary ranges i am so in favor of this and i wanted to give you an example of the way job listings are today and why some places are uh, requiring that when they post it up online we can give us a call text message 855-616-1620 i'm ryan Recker on wtmj don't go anywhere
0: live from the annex wealth management studios at the avenue It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner.
1: Here's your host, Ryan Recker. Oh, boy. All right, text messages are open. One person, Steve, said, love listening to him during the late night. Rest in peace, Jimbo. Yeah, our tribute to Jimbo Hannon right before the break. He passed away over the weekend. And you may have seen this trending online if you're on social media, but TMZ first reporting that Jay Leno was seriously burned in a car fire. So trying to get an idea of what happened. He was working in his garage. One of the cars erupted into flames without warning. Apparently it burned his face. They say luckily it didn't penetrate his ears or his eyes, but it sounds like his face was burnt pretty bad during this car fire. Uh, his spokesperson said that it's, he's going to be off his feet for a couple of weeks, but... I don't know what that's going to happen or what that will mean in the long term, but hopefully he gets the treatment care he needs and everything will be okay there. But if you wonder why Jay Leno is trending on social media right now, that is the reason for it. Uh, I wish the best for him. I wanted to mention a story I saw on Axios. Its job listings are the new Zillow. Some states, New York is the state I'm going to point to, is that when you post a job, you have to be transparent and give a salary range. So here's what you're expected to earn on this type of job. Sometimes jobs will surprise you. And you thought it was a high-paying job, but it's really not a high-paying job. I'm in radio. That always surprises me. People talk to you. <laughs> It's such a weird industry. Like in radio, you're like, oh, it must be so cool. You know, people know who you are. And, oh, you do all this work. And, oh, they've got this following online. And, oh, it must be so fun. This is great. You must be making a lot of money. <clears throat> Historically speaking, people in radio when they first start out struggle it's a it's a huge struggle and it takes a long time and some people never really make a great living out of tv or radio but we're starting to see now at least online that there's a lot of other competition out there and sometimes people like say you know, see i can't can't afford this they get out of radio and do other things that happens very common with like tv meteorologists (laughs) or like you know a lot of times tv reporters they'll be like okay i'm gonna go work with this company as their spokesperson now or this large entity like a hospital or whatever how many times have you seen things like that happen People get out of the industry. Well, it's a tough industry. It's a very difficult industry. It's one that you have to have a lot of passion for. Axios did a story about browsing job listings in New York. You may have a job. You may be happy with the job that you have. But you still browse jobs because you want to know what is out there that makes more money than I'm making today. And can I do that job? It made the competition a lot higher. Uh, It gave more transparency into jobs. You probably uh, have been unemployed at some point in your life, maybe you haven't, but let's say you have, and you try to apply for a job, and then you're just kind of, whoa, what do you mean it only pays that much? (laughs) I can't afford that. And it it really surprises you, because you thought the job was something more than it was. Would it have been nice to know how much it paid ahead of time before you got too invested in the interview process, or at least dragged along too far? I think that's something that a lot of people can understand and sympathize with. Now, when you go online, if you're a homeowner, you probably constantly go to Zillow. Oh, I wonder what Zillow says my home's worth. If you're thinking about selling a house, oh, I wonder how much my home's worth. If you're thinking about buying a house, oh, I wonder how much that home's worth. You do a lot of scanning. And out of a lot of curiosity, you want to know what something's worth. Well, what if you are that thing that you want to know it's worth? What about the skills that you have today? Don't you want to know if you can make more money? I think... What was that, that infomercial from the 90s with Sally Struthers? Do you want to make more money? Sure, we all do. That's basically what's playing out today. And much like people go online to see their home value, they want to go online and see their job value. So do you think it would be good that every state in the United States, let's just make this a normal thing. If you're going to post a job, post the salary range in the job. Should that be required for anyone posting a job? Here's the phone number, 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. Should all employers post the salary range with the jobs they're posting? I am 100% behind this. I think it would be fantastic if that was the case. More transparency that way. And let me point out this, too. Imagine you're working for a company and you see there's an opening at your company and you find out that they're going to hire someone in making a higher rate than you are doing the exact same job. Tell me that wouldn't cause a little controversy. And doesn't that put the sort of burden on the employer to make sure they're doing the best they can without lowballing you? It seems like this would be more consumer friendly and more employee friendly. And would probably help things all the way along. So I can't say New York City has done a lot of great things. uh, But this salary transparency law that they put into place, I love it. 855-616-1620. Call or text, should all job listings include salary ranges? It's required in New York. Should they do it here in Wisconsin? 855-616-1620. Better yet, if you are someone that is hiring right now and you have open positions... Uh, Have you considered putting a salary range in there? Or are you afraid to because, hey, I don't know, maybe they won't want to work for you if they find out how low the pay is? Be honest. Tell me. Call me. If you're an employer, better yet, 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker filling in. We'll take some of your calls after the break on WTMJ. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. Perfect bumper music with money. This just seems to make sense here. Way to go for our producer today, Isaac. 855-616-1620. Should employers be required to post job salary ranges when looking for the next hire? I think they should. I think it would be great. 855-616-1620. And I was looking at some of the data behind that. So the law is pretty new in New York City. They mention that some national sites like Indeed or whatever, if you go and post your resume and try to find people to hire you, they say that um, they have about a 30% increase in applications when the company lists that sort of information. I would more or less be curious to find out, hey, do the person working next to me doing the same job, who, by the way, doesn't work as hard as me, by the way, doesn't have as much skill as me, earn more money than me or not? I mean, there could be other factors, of course, seniority is a big factor, experience is a big factor, education, your actual abilities, if you're easy to work with or not. Let's say you're an absolute nightmare, and you, like, use all your sick days when you don't have to, and they know you're calling off just for the sake of using it like a vacation day. You you, you don't show up on time, you know, there could be all these other factors where they keep you around, but... You know, sometimes you wonder, why did they keep that guy around? There could be other factors that play into your salary, why you didn't get the raise that someone else got. You know, it could be just a part of the way the economy was at the time. Maybe they could afford, or maybe the demand was higher, so they had to pay a little bit more to get someone else in. There could be all kinds of other factors into that. So here's some of the text messages coming in. One person says, salary ranges will become even wider due to candidate education experience. Demonstrate success. That's interesting. To be able to demonstrate success. I guess every workplace has that sort of thing. But I'm also thinking about some of these places that don't necessarily have a big, wide range of skills. Like, it's almost too easy of a job. They just need a warm body. But even those type of jobs seem to be demanding a lot. But here's the problem we're running into. The economy was running super hot. Things got bad. Now we're seeing a lot of these companies lay off in mass exodus. Uh, It's actually quite sad. I think one of the stories today was Amazon was planning to do it soon, and they're just worried that some of these other big companies may be doing it right before Christmas and Thanksgiving during this holiday break. It's actually quite sad, the state of the economy, with the as terrible as inflation is, and not really having great signs that things are getting better anytime soon. Uh, it does scare me an awful lot. Uh, we're in a bad shape right now. I, there's nothing to be too optimistic, I guess, when it comes to this. We have a lot of hurdles to jump still for the American economy. Uh, One person said, we don't need another law. Companies don't post salary ranges. will eventually suffer. Okay, so the idea that if everyone uh, finds it to be a good idea, let them do it on their own. One person said, as a recruiter with over 10 years of experience, the simple answer is yes. However, some candidates only see the top end of the salary range, which should depend on experience. Second, it can create internal equity issues. That recruiter that texted in, can you call and explain what you mean by that? Because I'm kind of curious, I would think that if you find out the guy next to you who has the basic same amount of experience, the same job title, and doesn't work as hard as you are, and you find out that person's making more money than you, that would cause a lot of friction inside of a workplace. In fact, uh, I think being able to post these uh, recommendations on on job salary online would give you more ammunition to go in and say, hey, you're going to hire someone in at a higher rate than I'm here, and I thought I was loyal to this company. What are you going to do for me? I think that opens up the door for you to be able to negotiate better for yourself if you're a good worker. I think that's the kind of thing we want. 855-616-1620 is the number. Should they post salary ranges on job postings? I think absolutely yes. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this.
6: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Lucky for me, Jeff Wagner is allowing me to fill in during his time off this week. I'm Ryan Recker. You can find me online at ryanrecker.com. I do a podcast with my wife. We posted a new one today. It's a book review podcast. and uh, It's actually really fun, so I hope you can enjoy it. A couple of uh, text messages that came through. Uh, If they're just posting salary ranges, why wouldn't uh, you know what the guy next to you is making unless he tells you? I understand that you may be discouraged if you find you are making below the low end of the posted range. Yeah, you can talk about that. I find that in most workplaces, it's almost taboo where people don't talk about how much they make. I mean, you could ask someone and they might tell you, but for the most part, people don't do that. It's not necessarily a bad thing, and you're allowed to talk about how much you make. They can't enforce or tell you you can't discuss amongst your co-workers. I know there's been some jobs, and I've seen pictures online where people will post a sign-up in the break room. You are forbidden. You are not allowed to talk about how much you make with your co-workers. Well, that's not allowed. I mean, you can't be punished for that. It's not against the law to discuss those things. But they do everything they can to try to discourage it. And based on that one text message, you won't exactly know how much the guy next to you is making or whatever it is. But if they, let's say, out of the lack of job supplies or whatever that's out there, uh, the lack of people that are supplying the jobs, I should say, the workers, let's say that their demand is a little bit higher and if they have to pay a little bit more money for that next person to come in and you were brought in when it wasn't that. If you're making less than a new guy, um, yeah, this is your opportunity to negotiate a higher rate to say things have changed. Uh, if you're going to pay this person to come in with no experience, it'll probably flake out on you and, you know, won't show up to their shift. Hey, you know me. Uh, I'm reliable, I do good work, Uh, I need to make more money. And how about you uh, start there? And if they say no, then the good news for you is that you know how much companies are paying. If it's more than what you're making, you can get up and leave, go to a different company. I think that gives you the opportunity and gives you true power to better yourself. In a lot of ways, you should be finding ways to better yourself, whatever job that may be. Another thing I saw online that I thought, oh boy, I am with you on this one. There is a Reddit subreddit for Milwaukee, and people, for the most part, post things that are going on, or people like, oh, where should I rent uh, an apartment? What's the good breakfast place? Uh, did anyone see this car broken into? You know, people post all kinds of things across the city on this. And I saw one that mentioned they were in line at a fast food restaurant for 30 minutes. They were finally second to the window, and they still haven't got their food. He says, I'm too hungry to leave. I'm too committed at this point. This is still a problem. During the pandemic, we were at the point where we looked at fast food workers as essential workers, meaning that we needed to have people staffed in the drive through line because we need to still feed people and people still need to eat. So based on that, they're essential. So we need to get them in there. But what we found is that during the pandemic and these other times, people were going out less, spending less. They were a little bit more leery of the fast food. And maybe they might be getting orders brought to them at their home. They might not be going out and driving out. If they were working from home, they may be less inclined to go to a fast food restaurant. They may be more inclined to pick up food from, you know, a traditional sit-down restaurant. That's a carry-out. Just because if they're going out, they might as well do that. It's not a convenience thing. In a lot of ways, fast food is a convenience type of impulse food buy. So when the person's sitting in line there and saying, oh, they've waited 30 minutes, it reminded me of just 2020, where pretty much every single person that went through a fast food line was sitting there forever. We're still running into these issues with the workforce right now. So many different places are short-staffed, understaffed. They're finding that it's difficult to bring good people in and pay them at a rate where they'll stay or even show up. And I saw the one text message about the recruiter that Uh, messaged in. I heard that if you were to go to a job temp agency, that it might even take you three months to get staffed at a job. Uh, This is what they told me. They said, there are a lot of jobs out there. They do need people in certain job positions, but a lot of these employers are so behind, they won't even look at the applications for a couple of months. They might not get the time to put them in the system let alone offer them a position in a temp agency. So if you go in with the intention of, hey, I know that people need labor, I'm here to labor, yeah, you can sign up and wait on them to give you the okay to come in. It makes me wonder of how much of that's happening on a corporate level with some of these fast food places, where there may be people that actually want to work, and maybe the amount of money they can make at a fast food restaurant is probably as high as it's ever been because of the need for it, but it's just taking so long to hire people. And it's got to be frustrating working at these places knowing that you're working like a dog and they're not paying you anymore, and still you're shorthanded, and they can't bring someone in, and they can't get their act together. And as they continue to post these things, I keep thinking that there's some places that seem to always have their act together. And I think it like Chick-fil-A, for example. You can go online at a Chick-fil-A. There's probably someone outside of the restaurant taking your order. By the time you get it out there, they say, my pleasure, and you're to the window and out. They, like, they tried purposely to get you in and out as fast as possible. I love things like that. How many times have you gone to a fast food place and seen that kind of effort? I, no one does the Chick-fil-A effort. I wish all places were like that. And maybe having that type of work atmosphere, or at least that impression of it, is so much more powerful than the hey, you're going to come in here, we're going to grind you until you hate yourself, and you're going to smell like fryer grease for the rest of the day, and you'll have no appreciation. And oh yeah, by the way, we're not hiring more work because we're just not. We're going to put the sign up, but we're not going to hire anyone. That's demoralizing. That makes it so much more difficult. Now you as the consumer are trying to drive through some of these places, and it's no better than it was two years ago when they were discouraging people from working, (laughs) and we're still stuck in that same cycle. Whoever posted that up on the Milwaukee subreddit there, it's not just you in Milwaukee. It's like that everywhere right now. All right, so coming up after the break, over the weekend, Dave Chappelle hosted Saturday Night Live. I stopped watching Saturday Night Live. The only reason I watched the monologue was because Dave Chappelle was performing the comedic monologue. And over the weekend after the monologue, he has been slammed and criticized for normalizing anti-Semitic behavior. This goes back to Kanye West and some of the other things we've seen as of late. I'm going to play for you a couple of his jokes, and I want you to tell me if it's offensive or not. This is Dave Chappelle on SNL. After the break, we're going to take a look at uh, everything that went into it. So get ready to call in. Text in for that one, too. WTMJ News Time is 2.30. Now from the WTMJ Breaking News Center, here's Alex Crow.
6: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Looking at some of these text messages. Hello, Jeff's replacement for the week. That's how the text message starts. My name, it's Ryan Recker. You can find me online, ryanrecker.com, if you want to find me on there. Uh, The text message was, have you been to the Chick-fil-A in Whitefish Bay? Always a line. No, Chick-fil-A's always have a line. Always, always, always. But they move through it quickly. That's kind of the point. Man, their food is so good. I, I just love their food. Just a side note. Their chicken minis that they serve in the morning are so good. Oh, I can eat those every day. They're so expensive, but so good. Another text message, a lot of people stopped watching SNL because the right can't take a joke. Now, I don't believe that, per se. I think that they got tired of seeing this, I don't know, it's it's not that the right can't take a joke, it's just that they stopped producing jokes that were funny, and they really started producing more vindictive, hateful, I-hate-Republican content. I think there's a difference. I think that you could joke about certain things, and I'll take Dave Chappelle as an example. He made fun of the left, and he made fun of the right. I'll take Adam Sandler, for example. He came on when he finally came back to guest host Saturday Night Live, and people said, wow, this reminds me of when I enjoyed SNL, when they joked at both sides. SNL got into the trap of not so much trying to produce jokes, but trying to degrade Republicans, right? And they tried to do it in a humorous way. And that got so boring and played out that people gave up on SNL, myself included. It just got so boring. So old that over and over again, okay, we get it. You hate Donald Trump. Okay, we get it. You hate Republicans. Okay, we get it. But there wasn't any other comedic value in other than their hate. (laughs) So, you know, that's the. You can take that observation. You think that Republicans can't take a joke. I don't think that's the case at all. I just think SNL stopped being. um, They stopped being motivated by what was funny and then they started being more vindictive. I think that's my. My look at it. But let's put it this way. SNL had Dave Chappelle on this weekend. And I think another example of where this works out, there were reports that the writers said, I don't want to participate if Dave Chappelle's coming in, because they didn't like his controversial style of comedy. One of the funniest people on the planet, also one of the controversial ones, and also one that said, I'm not afraid to talk about or joke about certain things. So in the last couple of weeks, we've seen anti-Semitic comments from Kanye West, and Kyrie Irving, not Kyrie, yeah, he's the basketball player that retweeted a documentary that had anti-Semitic undertones. So he had to kind of backtrack on that and apologize, kind of, on that, but really it started with the whole Kanye West thing. So Dave Chappelle came on and was joking about these anti-Semitic moments of Kanye West. And some groups, the Anti-Defamation League, one of them, came out and said... Uh, This is bad. Dave Chappelle is normalizing anti-Semitism by joking about Dave Chappelle, or joking about uh, Kanye West. So I wanted to play for you some of the clips of Dave Chappelle over the weekend, if you missed the monologue. And I want you to tell me, is this offensive? Is it just simply comedy? Are we too sensitive? Are we not sensitive enough? Is it better to joke about it? Is it better not to joke about it? I think these are all valid questions. I'll tell you that I'm not offended by the jokes because it's Dave Chappelle telling the jokes. And I get that Dave Chappelle's coming at it from a point where he's doing it for the comedic understanding of it. And he's not doing it in a way to try to be shocking. You know, It's just Dave Chappelle's style of being Dave Chappelle. And I think he's earned a certain trust level where you can take it at the best possible way without him purposely trying to offend people. So here's Dave Chappelle, um, and this is how he started his monologue to try to set the stage where people immediately found it offensive. This is clip number three.
7: Before I start tonight, I just wanted to read a brief statement that I prepared. (laughs) (laughs) I denounce anti-Semitism in all its forms. (laughs) And I stand with my friends in the Jewish community. And that... Kanye. (laughs) This is how you buy yourself some time. (laughs) I got to tell you guys, I've probably been doing this uh, 35 years now. And early in my career, I learned that there are two words in the English language that you should never say together in sequence. And those words are the And juice. I've never heard someone do good after they said that.
1: Okay, so that was Dave Chappelle opening his monologue on Saturday Night Live. So right away, poking fun at Kanye West, and then talking about the controversy, the idea of the joke. And I want to play for you the part that really got people upset after the break. If you missed it, you're going to hear it. And this is the big question for you. Maybe you saw it already, or maybe you have already come to the conclusion after listening to that clip. Is that offensive? Is Dave Chappelle joking about Kanye West's anti-Semitic comments offensive to you? 855-616-1620. Their argument is that they're normalizing anti-Semitism. They're normalizing this by joking about it. But Dave Chappelle looks at it differently and says it's comedy. You joke about things that are even serious, and that's part of comedy, joking about things that are also serious topics. 855-616-1620. We'll take your comments and some of your calls after the break, too, and the clip that is getting a lot of people looking at it and saying, oh, this went too far, right after the break. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. More Jeff Wagner right after this.
6: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Looking at some of the text messages coming in before I play the Dave Chappelle jokes that a lot of people are looking at as offensive and anti-Semitic or at least normalizing anti-Semitism from Saturday Night Live this weekend. Uh, One person said, anyone remember Don Rickles or Andrew Dice Clay, who I personally didn't like? Another person said, the Jewish people have a right to be offended. The Germans tried to murder all of them and succeeded in killing six million of them. They deserve to be hypersensitive to it. Another person said, this is Dave Chappelle being Dave Chappelle, poking fun at Kanye West. Another person said, anyone remember All in the Family? Um, Okay, so there's a lot of different takes on this. And the one that I really want to point out is one that I think is... The right take, and this is the one I agree with. Chappelle is great. Kanye West is the idiot, and he pointed that out with humor. You're using your humor to point out the absurdity in the nature of the situation with Kanye West. And he used that humor, I think, because the only way Dave Chappelle knows how to, in, in a genius way when it comes to comedy. Now, here's the comments that I think got a lot of people upset. And the Anti-Defamation League said that this is normalizing anti-Semitism. This is clip number four. When he woke
7: up, he went on Drink Champs again. This time, he was on one. He was mad about something. He said, I can say anti-Semitic things. And the Davis can't drop me. Now what? Uh, Adidas dropped that immediately. (laughs) Ironically, Adidas was founded by Nazis. And they were offended. I guess the students surpassed the teacher. It's a big deal. He broke the show business rules. There's this is a rule, you know, the rules of perception. If, if they're black, then it's a gang. If they're Italian, it's a mob. But if they're Jewish, it's a coincidence, and you should never speak about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That's how you get in trouble. That's Dave Chappelle <laughs> telling the jokes. But as you know, they point out just how dumb and absurd this Kanye West thing is to think that he would do something like that okay so are you offended by these comments are they really bad are are they normalizing anti-semitism or is it genius through comedy pointing out the situation and where it is let's go to Mike from Illinois on the line welcome to WTMJ go ahead
3: good afternoon Ryan how are you good good so the first two clips you played um not offensive at all the last one you played a little bit offensive um Anytime you bring up Nazis, I just think it's uh, not going to fly. Um, it, it was a little bit funny, but still it does just kind of make light of what happened. I don't think the first two uh, segments you played were offensive at all. I think Chappelle was just pointing out Kanye West, and that's what he was doing in the third segment, segment you played, but then he, I guess I thought they took it a little too far with that.
1: Oh, so it was the Nazi thing that got you upset. Yep. It was the, the reference to them.
3: Yeah, and I yeah. The first two things, not not at all. I thought that was just, like you said, pointing out Kanye. And but when he when he brought up the Nazis, that is kind of making light of something that is very serious.
1: Right. Well, you understand the context of what they were bringing it up, saying that oh, I sure. didn't realize this about Adidas. I don't know if it's true, but I didn't realize that they were founded by Nazis. So the kind of the ironic thing is, you're being dumped by a group that was created by Nazis uh, for the comments that you said about.
3: You, I don't even know if that's true. I don't know if he was just using that. For comedic, you know, effect, and if he was using it for comedic effect, it's even worse. Uh, because
1: I think I it don't was think probably true. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I don't think he'd make that okay, up. That would yeah. be a weird thing to make up, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right.
3: But either okay. way, so the last one was a little bit. yes.
1: Okay. Thank you, Mike. Good to hear from you. Uh, let's go to Lamar, who's calling in. Welcome to WTMJ. Hi. Go ahead.
8: Um, so it just to be clear, just to clarify, one of the DD founders was indeed a member of the Nazi Party. That's an actual fact. Um, mm-hmm. And but my my point, I think that as a nation, just in general, we're overly we're becoming overly sensitive. We're triggered by words, and we don't we we throw context out the window. So to give you a quick example to, to kind of illustrate my point, um, and I and I'm actually glad that as a, as a black community, we kind of calmed down. Remember, I don't remember when Bill Maher said the N word in a joke about being a house N word. Um, just not the hard R, but the N I G D A. Whatever he said that, and there was a there was a quick like backlash to it. But you know, everyone kind of took a step back, understanding one he was making a joke, um, and the context was not offensive. And I think that we're to the point where we don't actually hear what people are saying. We're just easily triggered because we're so sensitive. And this is Dave Chappelle. You know what I'm saying? Of of, of mm-hmm. all people, one he should have earned that level of trust, and two he was using his comedic genius to kind of illustrate. What was an absurd and idiotic, like the like the texter said, an idiotic act on the behalf of you know uh, Kanye and Kyrie, and yes. we're just we're overblowing it as we have been doing lately.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Using earned a level of trust because Dave Chappelle's level of comedic genius um, kind of gives you a certain amount of grace when it comes to the leeway you would normally give a comedian, uh, knowing his track record and his history, that he's not malicious in the way he brings these up. He's doing it in, I think, a very smart way that he brings it up. But I should point out that I bleeped a word in that bit, and it was the N-word. So that was also used in that comedic... uh, I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, yeah, Uh,
8: yeah, I did catch it. But, you know,
1: context matters. Context matters. Yep. Okay, thank you very much, Lamar. I appreciate that. 855-616-1620. Some more text messages. Uh, Hi, Ryan. Genius through comedy. Okay. Um, One person said we should all remember that Dave Chappelle is a comedian, not a broadcast news host. Uh, Another person said people don't get to decide what other people find offensive. That's a good point. You don't get to pick what other people find offensive or not. Okay, that's an interesting point, because now you're talking about free speech, which is something that Dave Chappelle has always advocated for. And part of free speech, the expression of ideas through comedy and whatnot, instead of canceling them, using this as an opportunity to talk about free speech, even offensive free speech. Uh, 855-616-1620. We're going to take a break. We can take some more of your calls after the break as we get ready to wrap up the show on WTMJ.
6: Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this.
1: You know, imagine Saturday Night Live taking the approach of poking fun at what's topical and not really worrying about certain political sides. I don't know if that's just a reflection of the writers and their political leanings, that they really don't want to hit something that they find as important to their progressive view, viewpoints. But when you have a comedian like Dave Chappelle, I think he's more situational, in the sense that he can look at what the situation is and find... The comedy in it, but be able to put some commentary, his thoughts into it to make you think a little bit about it, and that's something that not every entertainer can do. It's not that any writer can do. It's only certain people have, I think, the level of expertise or um, the mastered the comedy like Dave Chappelle has, and he's kind of earned that. And I like that last caller who mentioned that he's earned a level of trust, as in when he says something. You've earned that level of trust where you can take it at the best possible way as opposed to taking it the worst possible way or maybe dictating what the intentions are without actually knowing what the intentions are. So that's... um I think a really good way to put it. One person said, if you're offended by Chappelle, don't watch. Another person said on the text line at 855 616 that people are paying to see Dave Chappelle and his jokes. So if you're going to be offended by that, don't go to the show. Don't pay the price. I get that. Him being on SNL, I mean, that's a big deal. And it got a lot of people turned off. But i got to tell you, on my own personal habits, it's the very first time that I have ever watched SNL or any of its clips in years because I was more or less interested in how they were going to handle this topic and I just watched the monologue I didn't watch the entire show I just got tired of the entire show but this actually got me to watch again and if this is the type of comedy SNL can bring to the stage then maybe there could be something in the future for it but I've written it off a long time ago Oh boy, we got an awful lot going on in the news. So much going on in the community. Wisconsin's afternoon news will be coming up here. Greg Matzik joins us now. Hello, Greg. Hey Ryan, how was the weekend? Oh boy, it was it was okay. A lot of um, my wife was trying to get me to put the Christmas tree up, so there's a lot of pressure of that in the household today.
6: <laughs> so was that because it was a, a decent weather weekend, and you have to knock it out before it gets uh, like subarctic? You don't want to be outside yeah.
1: doing that. I blame the radio stations that are playing Christmas music put her in the spirit to put it up early.
6: Uh, Well, if you've been to Costco, they had their Christmas stuff up in August, right before pumpkin spice latte season, which I thought was a little bit disturbing.
1: Yeah, no, you can't give up on Thanksgiving that easy. So that's how the weekend turned out for me. I hope you had a great weekend. What's coming up on Wisconsin's morning news? Yes, a few few things. Uh, We we are
6: following uh, the the UVA shooting has Wisconsin ties to it. We'll break that down coming up a little bit after the news at 3 o'clock. American Family Field, I don't know if you saw it last week, but they had a college basketball game, two college basketball games, as a matter of fact, at a baseball stadium. Went off pretty well. How do you plus up that event, and what would you like to see come to American Family Field? field a side of baseball what else can we do we'll put our marketing hats on coming up at three fifteen today of course christmas lists it's that time of year where do you stand on those i've got some specific thoughts and the idea of a three-day work week one company you've likely heard of them is going this route and it seems to be working we will get into that coming up at about 4.47 this afternoon. Greg Matzik in for John McKear, Stephen Watson in for Greg Matzik. Mike Spalding in for Mike Spaulding. Wisconsin's afternoon news begins in just a few moments.